follow us and leave a bit of a trail behind us where we go. That'll be the hallmark of you working in us and through us to reach out into the community, to reach out into our family, to reach out into our workplace, love and mercy, peace and kindness. Father, we, we pray for your move amongst us, in us, through us. Lord, the community needs to hear of your love and your mercy. In a time when, when things are breaking down, when there is trauma, when there's disease, Lord, let your love and your mercy come and invade. Let it be a quiet, a pleasant invasion, an invasion of the Holy Spirit, which brings life, not death. Father, we ask in Jesus' Name for Your goodness, Your kindness. Let, let every, every time we engage with people, let it be from a stance of goodness and kindness, of well-being towards that other person. Lord, in that way, we can be influencers in our community. Father, we pray that the presence of God, which is in, in fact the face of God, we'd be aware of the joy that comes from being in the presence of God and, and take that with us to our communities, to our families. Father, we ask it in Jesus' Name. We can be the difference through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in our community, in our society, in this 21st century, like starting today, we can be the difference. Thank You, Lord, in Jesus' Name. Thank You, Lord. Father, I pray that You would take the Word that I've prepared and Holy Spirit, You would, you would infuse it with Your power so that people hear what they need to hear today. It may not even be what I say, but let it be what you say. In Jesus' Name. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I feel a bit wobbly. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Yeah. Well, I can, I can tell this is going to be a great meeting. And for all you people online, I'm sorry that you're not in the room, but it can be a fantastic time for you as well. Hallelujah. Well, let's take our seats. Already we've knelt. Preacher is sitting. Today we're going to also pray together, just like in the good old days. Not that I ever was an Anglican, but in the good old days when I had visited Anglican churches in the past, and we'd pray together. You know, there's a great, there's a great thing that happens when we hear the prayers of other people. And we combine our prayer with their prayer and we, we kind of reinforce and establish something. If we pray quietly, that's really good too. But in a corporate setting, if we pray quietly, no one is encouraged really. God hears, but no one else hears. And you know what? You know the effect of the encouragement to one another is to spur each other on and to encourage each other in prayer. And that's my topic today. I'm, I'm concluding a, a series which was meant to be one message, turned out to be two, and then Ben put in a third one last week. Um, so 
Thank you, Ben. Um, ben did part two, so this is part three. Um, on, a, on the prayer that Jesus gave the example to his disciples. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Ben reminded us last week, better that we call it the Disciples' Prayer. And we find it in Matthew chapter 6. When, when we started looking at prayer a month ago, I didn't realise, but I was speaking with Anthony this morning, and he said that at Kids Church, they also began, on that very morning, they began talking and teaching the children about prayer. I think God's up to something. Across the whole of the church, prayer is something that he seems to be focusing our attention to. Well, I think also when I spoke last time, I was referring to the fact that I read a survey that said people, by and large, when they pray in the current climate of the church, they pray silent and solo. And I want to suggest that it's time that we started to make some noise. And, and just like Jennifer Lopez said in her song, Let's Get Loud, today, today I'm going to encourage us to pray out loud, all together, at the same time, through your mask, pray out loud together. So join with me in doing that. So we've had a few departures from the norm. We've knelt, I'm sitting, and now we're all going to pray out loud together. In the first message, I spoke about God's position, all based on the disciples' prayer, which Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. God's position is our Father, and he's in heaven. And then our affirmation of God's position was the next section, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today we're going to be looking at our petition to God, the things we ask. Give us today the food we need. So other parts of the prayer seem to strike a note with us, I think. Our Father in heaven, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Give us today the food we need. Who thinks about that when they're going to the grocer's shop, the supermarket? In our society, we pretty much think we supply food for ourselves. I want to suggest to us this morning that that is not the case. The supermarket does not supply the food, nor does the farmer supply the food. It is God who supplies the food. He is our ultimate source. If you think back 2,000 years when Jesus was setting up this model of prayer, people didn't know where their next meal was coming from. And so it was a different thing. But if you think back just a couple of months, in our supermarkets, there were shortages. You may remember seeing the pictures on the television of people fighting over toilet paper. People hoarded things. We couldn't get the ingredients like flour was in short supply. And today, even, there are some people who are really impacted by the coronavirus. Financially, they're finding it hard. The better translation of give us today the food we need is 
when it says in other versions daily bread, it's referring to the, the bread of necessity, that which is vital for us to survive. And we can translate the food aspect into all the things that we need, the urgent requirements that we have for our survival, what we need today of necessity. Now, when we come up against something like an urgent need, we must realise that prayer is our first response. It's not our last resort. As soon as we are aware of something in our life or in the lives of other people around us, prayer should be where we find ourselves. Because God's interested in the nitty-gritty detail, what we might consider to be too tiny and too insignificant. God's interested in that. Not just the astronomically important. God's interested in the menial and the, and the meaningful. So we've got to be careful that we come to God not just for the big issues, but for the tiny ones as well. And we don't have to have a particular format or time. As we are walking, we can be praying for the bread of necessity. As we are in our workplace and we become aware of a situation, we can pray for that urgent need, that requirement. We don't have to wait to be in a quiet place. The prayers don't even have to be long. The main thing is that we are praying. And when we come together as a church, we can pray for a corporate need, the things which are of necessity, the things that we see other people have needs. And we pray for those as well. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 4, and he gave them some instructions. He says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. Do it quickly. Pray as soon as you're aware of the need. Don't let things go on and on and on, but do it real fast, real quick. In the same Sermon on the Mount that we take the disciples' prayer from, a chapter later, Jesus is saying, chapter 7 of Matthew, don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on a plate? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think the God who conceived you in love will be even better? When we pray in this way for these things of necessity, in the backdrop, our response should already be, we've already decided what our response will be. Our response will be one of gratitude. Gratitude because God provides, not only today, but God provides tomorrow. Everything is under his control and he has the biggest 
resource ever. And it's never going to be depleted. He can draw on things that we can't see. He's bigger than the supermarket. And I've driven past that big warehouse on the M4. He's bigger. He's bigger. Ben reminded us that there are two kinds of people. There's the thankful and, as Dave Swavely was telling me, the thankless. The negative. We want to be people that are grateful. People that show gratitude. And uh, our second response would be one of humility. Realising that we can't supply for ourselves, really. Everything that we have received is an act of God's grace. And uh, everything finds their source, finds its source in him. So humbly, we thank God. And a hallmark of our response will be generosity. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 9, the writer says, Generous hands are blessed hands because they give bread to the poor. So when we receive, we have to be people willing and ready to give. Someone said, grace comes to you on the way to somebody else. Don't hoard it. And in our church, we're really, really blessed to have a group called Mountains Care. Now, they are a small subset of our church. The people who serve in Mountains Care are a very small group. And they are busy taking the resource that God has given and generously dispensing it to people in need of necessity, people who have that need urgently. But I don't think that gets us off the hook. We can't say, oh, Mountains Care will do it. I think we have to all be Mountains Care. We have to all be looking out for the needs, the urgent needs, the things of necessity for the people around us. Praying for others and looking outside ourselves is a really healthy thing. We think to ourselves, who's struggling? Who needs hope? Who's been blessed? In our prayer request time here in church, I want to encourage our prayer response. I, I would like to suggest to you that when the prayer requests are being read out, they sometimes get put up onto the screen, and then the leader prays and we pray together, I want to encourage us to make a noise, to be prayerful in a verbal sense, to agree with that prayer, to pray into that prayer. You know what will happen? That will encourage another person to pray out loud and to agree with that prayer. And that agreement will encourage other people to pray. So don't go quiet during the, the prayer requests. Get loud during the prayer requests. You know, it may even be that the person who has put the prayer request in is sitting in the congregation. When they hear lots of people, that's going to be just on, on that level alone, it's going to be an encouragement. They're not by themselves. That we are walking with them. So can I encourage you, if you haven't already been in that pattern, see if you can change the way you think about prayer request time and get into the mode of, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray out loud. You, I can challenge you, as I challenge myself with this, maybe I'm going to take notes of the prayer requests and not just leave it to the pastoral staff of church. I'm going to pray those prayer request things, like for that healing of cancer today, 
I'm going to pray for that during the week. Kathy's going to keep me honest. She'll check up. We'll pray together. Charles Finney, uh, the great revivalist, said, Nothing tends more to cement the hearts of Christians than praying together. Never do they love one another so well as when they witness the outpouring of each other's hearts in prayer. So I'm going to ask us now to pray. And the words are going to come up on the screen. I'm going to sit in the middle row here. And Dan's going to put the words up now. There we go. And we're going to pray it all together. You ready? I know this is a bit unusual, but let's give it a shot. After three. And nice and loud. Through your mask and everything. One, two, three. Our Father, we recall the words of Jeremiah. Nothing is too hard for you. And we declare today, nothing is too simple for you either. You are our only source of supply and prayer is the only logistic of our supply chain. Our food, furniture, friends and finance are all examples of your gracious, unmerited goodness. In essence and reality, you are our financial advisor, our health care worker, our real estate agent, our employment officer, and our relationship guru. Your resource is always sufficient for every need. Help us to be generous dispensers of your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen. That was good. Did you feel a, a sense of community as we prayed? Jesus said next, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Alan Redpath, the British evangelist, said, Before we can pray, Lord, your kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, Lord, let my kingdom go. People are so messy, you know. I'm messy. You're messy. Let's face it. We're in a mess. Surely I was sinful at birth, King David says, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So inevitably, there's going to be some malfunctions in relationships. We're going to have enmity and strife. Some situation or other is primed and ready for the kingdom of God to invade with peace and kindness, love and mercy will follow me. Hallelujah. So that's, that's inevitable. It's going to happen. Forgiveness doesn't come easy for us. We like to hold on. But the whole essence of forgiveness is letting go. It's about cancelling the debt. And look what Jesus said just after the Lord's Prayer in, in Matthew chapter 6 is this passage. In prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. Jesus is speaking. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. See, forgiveness has its source in God alone. We can't actually forgive anyone of our own strength. 
in much the same way as divine forgiveness can come only through the redeeming work of Jesus, so interpersonal forgiveness comes through that same channel. It's through the work of Jesus. Let that picture of Jesus as the forgiving king be in your mind now. Jesus on the cross, hands nailed in pain and agony. He says to no one in particular, but to the crowd and forever we hear these words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus gave us a pattern here. How to shape our character, change our perspective. Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 3 and verse 13 of Colossians. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I like this quote from Lewis Smedes from the Fuller Seminary in the United States. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and then realise that the prisoner was you. Let's pray together again. All together in a nice loud voice. Let's encourage one another and unite our hearts in prayer to God. Our Father... You are perfect. We are not. We recognise the tremendous life-giving offer of forgiveness inherent in salvation when Jesus lifted the weight of our sin and carried it to the cross. Now, today, we bring the offences of our neighbours and our nation to you. Holy Spirit, help us to forgive the words policies, arguments, and actions of others, just as you have forgiven the same in us. May your freedom tell the story of forgiveness as it's outworked in our lives and throughout our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus goes on then to touch some really tricky parts of our human makeup. Don't let us yield to temptation. One of the Baptist revivalist preachers, A.C. Dixon, said, when we rely upon organisation, we get what organisation can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do, and so on. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. And there's evil all around us. It's in the architecture of our society. The financial system, the legal system, the government, there's racial injustice. Just before when we were singing, I was thinking somehow, I don't know, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and, and, and said about the indigenous people of, of our country. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, coming from a totally different background, nevertheless, our brothers and sisters. And, and we, as they pray for us, we need to pray for them as well. Because there's a temptation to go along with the line of many other white Caucasian 
people and belittle Indigenous brothers and sisters. See the number of Indigenous people in prison and think, well, that's just how it is. No, it isn't. God wants to redeem Indigenous people just as much as he wants to redeem white Caucasian, European background people, just as much as he wants to redeem Asian background people, just as much as he wants to redeem European background people. Like colours, no colour of skin is not on God's agenda. He wouldn't have made people that way. (laughs) He loves everyone. When we pray like this to yield not to temptation, not to fall in line with the the way of the world, it's like being conscripted into a war. And the war is not against people. It's against the principalities and the powers. God himself cannot tempt anyone. James chapter 1 Verse 13 says, don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and he puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. So can I ask you a question? Where are you tempted in this season of life that you're in? For me, well, my goodness, I could write a novel. I could write a trilogy. I could write more than a trilogy. I'm sometimes tempted to think I've done pretty well for myself. I can think of materialism, and that's, that's a temptation I have. I could call that novel the Babel identity, where I'm looking at, let's do this, we'll do that, we'll do this, I did it. I did it my way. The Babel identity. It could be, second novel could be how I relapse into old ways of coping with things, which is not to cope, which is to say it's too hard, they can sort it out themselves, I just won't get involved. I'm going to call that the ostrich ultimatum. And then I could be tempted to compromise or not follow through on the things that I really truly believe in. I could be tempted to lower my faith to the level of my expectation. I would call that the plateau supremacy, where I reach a level and can't go past it. And I could be tempted to sit and be comfortable. But you know, as you name the temptation, you have actually begun the prayer. You can ask God for the ability to walk the other way, do the opposite to that temptation. Someone said, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. So let's clasp our hands in prayer and let's open our mouths and pray together. Our Father, the subtle influence of morality marketing continues to undercut standards and reshape codes of acceptability in our 21st century society. And we have taken the bait, forgetful of the hook, which ultimately draws us away from the life and purpose you have for your church as the pivot point for the world. 
in this struggle against temptation. We ask for discernment, focus, and clarity. We thank you for the boundless strength of the Spirit to take a stand, to walk, and to lead. Let the difference in us become the difference our community is looking for. In the name of Jesus, amen. And finally, Jesus encourages us to pray, rescue us from the evil one. In the preface to the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis wrote, The greatest evil is not done in these sordid dens of crime that Charles Dickens loved to paint. It is conceived, moved, seconded, carried and minuted in clean, carpeted, warmed and well-lighted offices by quiet men with white collars and cut fingernails and smooth-shaven cheeks who do not even raise their voices. But these are not the enemy. Our struggle, as I said before, is not against flesh and blood. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter reminds us, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Evil is a personal entity looking for someone to devour. And there's so much bad news, so many broken systems, national unrest, the civil libertarians versus the rest, lost lives, wars, famines. It's easy to become immune to the pain. Our compassion can dwindle. Our heart can harden. We can lose hope. What, what in the world is going to stop all this sin and brokenness? As Christians, are we supposed to just kind of twiddle our thumbs and bide our time? I love this quote from Richard Halverson, chaplain to the US Senate. He said, Intercession is the truly universal work for the Christian. No place is closed to intercessory prayer. No continent, no nation, no city, no organisation, no office, no power on earth can keep intercession out. So let's turn it around, folks. Let's take the news and the reports that we read and hear as a catalyst for prayer. When we hear of political division, let's pray for unity. When we hear about the pandemic and the numbers and overseas, let's pray into that. Let's pray for a uh, result, a quick response from God. Let's pray for medical and clinical researchers to find a cure. Let's pray for healing for people. Let's pray for other people outside of our own needs. Let's look big. Let's look large. Billy Graham said, to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. And the final reminder today is from the Apostle Paul, who wrote to the church at Ephesus. In chapter 6, verse 10, he says, and that about wraps it up. 
God is strong and He wants you to be strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help that you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's Word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. And I'd like us to pray that Bible verse now. So I've just reordered that Bible verse and so it becomes like a prayer for us. Would you stand with me as we pray together? As the band comes back up, let's pray together and ask in this final prayer for God to rescue us from evil. Let's pray together. Our Father, you are strong and you want us to be strong. Help us to wield these well-made weapons so that we will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws our way. We recognise we are in a for keeps life or death fight to the finish. You have shown us that truth, righteousness, peace, faith and salvation are more than just Christianese. Your Word is an indispensable weapon and prayer is an essential armament in this ongoing warfare. We commit ourselves to pray hard and long, to pray for our brothers and sisters, to keep our eyes open and encourage each other to pray, to stand, to live. In the all-powerful Name of Jesus, Amen.